Okay, tacos, here we go. Let's decide poor Joe's fate. If you haven't listened to the previous Death Row Joe episode, then go back and start there. For everyone else, let's grab some tissues. To start, John's going to talk a little history, but don't get scared. He's simply trying to understand how society, albeit one nearly a hundred years ago, could rationale the killing of a kind-hearted soul like Joe Arity. In fact, similarities between Joe's story and our world today are striking, although perhaps just hidden in plain sight. Joe had the mind of a four-year-old child, endured with a sense of wonder, bringing so much joy and laughter to those around him, even to the ones who believed he should die. Maybe we can all learn some things from Joe. Perhaps it's not the Joes who grow up too slow, but for all of us who grow up too fast. All right, I'm going to run through Henry Arity, the father, his background. I'm going to run through a lot of stuff. This is going to be very dense. Henry Arity, we do not have a picture of him. He immigrates from Mount Lebanon. He's Syrian-born, immigrated to America. Okay, his wife Mary comes three years later. They have a bunch of children. Just like in the 30s, a lot of them die. That's just Mm. how it happened back then. He worked in the same place that everyone else worked at, which was CFI, which was the Colorado Fuel and Iron Company. Everyone worked at that. In fact, Pueblo, where he moved to and then his wife joined him, huge population there, 50,000, even today's standards, that's huge. Everyone worked at the same place. They worked at the mill there. That's where people, just where everyone worked. Okay. 1885, Congress passed the contact and labor law. Real quick going through this. That stops companies who badly needed these workers because at first they were going overseas, getting immigrants, bringing them back. Now we're living in a very polarizing time right now where you hear the immigration stuff all the time so this is relevant it has been relevant but for over a hundred years this has been extremely relevant so it's not not something new oh immigrants are coming here this was a big thing back then too companies were going over there grabbing these workers from everywhere they can't can't grabbing these workers from everywhere they can italy syria wherever they can pull them They'll bring them over here and basically put them to slave labor in their factories. 15,000 immigrants per day move through the docks. 15,000 a day move through the docks. And only two and two out of 10 of them were rejected. They were chalked. And this is I know know it's kind of like educational, but it's very important to understand because I don't want to just tell you why they were trying to kill this guy. And I'm not going to tell you if they kill him. Or not yet. I'm not just going to tell you, oh, they killed him or didn't kill him. I want to tell you why. Like, what? what's the mindset? Why were they subconsciously trying to do this? They wanted the, the reward? No, it's not, it is, but there's there's deeper stuff than that. Because he was an immigrant. That, well, there's, de- there's, ah. there's deeper-seated stuff than that here. This is being chalked. The immigrants moved in a single file through the stockyard maze of passageways and under the eye of a doctor in blue uniform who had his hand in a piece of chalk. He was a tough, instant diagnostician. He would look at the hands, the hair, the faces, and rap out a few questions. He might spot a panting old man with purple lips, and he would chalk out on the back a capital H for a suspected heart disease. 
any facial blotches, a hint of gross eczema, brought forth a chalked F for facial rat for facial rash. Children in arms were made to stand down to see if they rated an L for a limp of rickets or some other deficiency disease. There was one chalk mark that every family dreaded, for it guaranteed certain deportation. It was a circle with a cross in the middle, and it indicated feeble-minded. Mm. <clears throat> so. That's kind of like mm. like crosshairs. Yeah. That's sad. Wow. All right. Joe Arity was born April 29th, 1915 in Pueblo. Okay. Large population, like I said, 59,000 people. In 1921, he goes to the local elementary school, Bessemer Elementary School. That was in 1921. In 1922, the principal calls his parents in, Henry and Mary, and said he can't come to school anymore because he's too slow Mm. to, to keep up. So now he's at home. I need to point out Henry and Mary, mother and his mother and father were first were first cousins, mm. which is uh, there's something that's not very well known, but because they kept it very hidden. But, do you know, Einstein, we we're talking about Einstein earlier. Mm-hmm. He married his, his cousin. He married his first cousin, Elsa. And I, didn't, I never knew this. And it was not even in his biography that that one guy wrote. But apparently he had a not illegitimate because they had the child, but she was, you know, Disabled? Disabled. Mentally disabled. They kind of kept her under wraps. And she, I think she died like in the 90s, 91 mm. or something like that. Kind of like how the Kennedys <clears throat> had their had their daughter who was kind of kept away from public eye. I yeah. It was incestuous. Um, that, but JFK had oh, a sister. Oh, yeah. Mary, no, no, you're I talking think. About, yeah. Or Margaret. Mary or Margaret. One of the two, I think. Joe Arity was slow by all standards. Or was it? At the time, he had a mental age of four to six, and he will continue. So that mental age stayed the same throughout this story. He stayed home after he was kicked out of school, and he was a pretty happy boy. However, that happy boy was also one more mouth to feed to a family that's barely making it. Henry, he worked as a sand pourer for the the company, a very low of the totem pole job. He poured sand so they can make the glass or whatever. He was also very suggestible. And not only that, but the family started struggling. Now they have a boy, Joe Arity, that can't go to school, can't be productive, and is causing the family strain. Plus, they have a few more children after that. Friends, family, and even the church of the parents convinced Henry, the father, that his son, that his son Joe Arity, should be put in front of a lunacy board, mm. because that was the reason for their hardship. So the friends, family, and the church. I'm trying to get you the mindset. It's not some big conspiracy. The, everyone is thinking this way. The feeble mindedness. Everyone. The church is saying, "Listen, you need to put him in front of the lunacy board because that's he is all your problems, all the problems you're having right now." You know, the financial stuff, all this stuff, the stress with your wife, all of it's because you're taking care of him. That's the reason. The church is telling them that. The friends, their family members are telling them that. So, and the book goes into quite a bit about how Henry knows he made a mistake. 
and tried to get his son back multiple times. It's actually very sad, his story, because he really wanted his son back. It was very heartbreaking because once you put him in a lunacy board and they take him, it's hard to get him back. So eventually they decided to do it. And another reason why is because they were both immigrants. And, and if the church is telling you, they, and they're already causing waves with this, mm. right? All right. Now, I'm, I'm going to blow your fucking mind. I'm going to blow your mind. And this, this just blew my fucking mind right out the water. You guys are not going to believe this shit at the fuck all. Okay, I'm trying to prepare myself. This, this is going to change everything you think about ever. This right here, the picture you're looking at, doesn't really relate directly to the story, but this, this is the start of it from what we know so far. This was published June 1896 in the Atlantic. This is way before the story we're talking about, but I'm trying to tell you the thoughts of why people thought like this. The paper was by Francis A. Walker called Restriction of Immigrations. Whatever your thoughts on immigration is, I'm not going to get into any of that. That's not my thing. But I'm just telling you exactly how it happened. Quote, the question today is of protecting the American rate of wages, the American standard of living, and the quality of American citizenship from degradation through the tumultuous access of vast throngs of ignorant and brutalized peasantry from the countries of Eastern and Southern Europe. End mm. quote. You see that come out, and this is a, a law professor, very smart, intelligent guy. He writes this. It gets in the Atlantic, which is, I mean, still a huge newspaper, but back then, completely freaking, you know, taken over. Yep. He calls the immigrants, quote, persons that are deaf, dumb, blind, idiotic, insane, pauper, or criminal, who might otherwise become a hopeless burden upon the country, perhaps even an active source of mischief, end quote. Mm. That changed a lot of stuff. You guys are really about to see where I'm going with this. This Jen, Jen might know what this is. This is uh, the American Association on Intellectual and Development Disabilities. That's what it's called right now. I'm not talking bad about this at all. It's not a not. It's probably a, a an amazing organization. But back in the day, it used to be called the American Association for the Study of the Feeble Minded. And I'm going through this really quick. Gregor Mendel's work. And the work combined with Francis Walker with the immigrations got in front of the desk of the president of this organization. His name was Henry Godard. He he was the, the CEO and president, the, the founder of the American Association for the Study of Feeble-Minded. It later became, even when this book was written, it was still called the American Association on Mental Retardation. Now that term is out and is now called, you know, what it is now, AIDD. Going off the research of Mendel, he wrote this book called The Calicac Family, which Stephen Gold, which I have a couple of his books. I never read them, but he's a big science guy, the writer, prolific writer. He says the book that this guy wrote, the guy that started the American Association for the, you know, whatever it was, uh, intellectual disabilities. The guy that started that, the president, wrote a book called The Calicac Family, which Stephen Gold says is, quote, the primal myth of the eugenics movement end quote the guy that started the american association for mental retardation in america wrote a book that 
is the primal myth of the eugenics movement. You guys understand what I'm telling yes, you? When yes. did Hitler come to power? The 40s. When was this book written? 1912. Oh. 1912, he wrote this book. The Kalakak family told the tale of a supposedly degenerate family from rural New Jersey, beginning with Deborah. Like most books in this genre, the pseudoscientific treatise described generations of illiterate, poor, and purportedly immoral Kalakak family members who were chronically unemployed, supposedly feeble-minded criminals, and in general perceived as a threat to racial hygiene. Basically, this war hero here, he goes back on shore leave and he has sex with a barmaid. A barmaid of very low intelligence. She's there on the on the left. Then he goes back to his well-respected family and has a, a, a baby, another baby, with a well-respected woman of good means. And he's basically doing the rabbits having sex theory that they multiply. The... the uh, the idiocracy theory, right? Mm. So the feeble-minded barmaid has more children. More children. Those children multiply, 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 multiply. Whereas the the well-to-do family that he was supposed to, you know, only be only raise the children with, they have one or two. They're all good in society, stuff like that. The reason I'm trying to say this is because at the fucking time you have mass immigration coming in. They're taking jobs. They are. People are getting tired of it. No one likes these immigrants. Irish need not apply. Now you have some guy that says some guy that is the director of the feeble mindedness institute. Who else could be a more, you know, more uh, prominent person to say this he writes a book saying he followed this real guy and his family from this barmaid multiplied 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 by the hundreds and they're all feeble-minded they're all criminals they're all a burden to society this is a bestseller book here a bestseller do you guys understand what what i'm trying to get with here Mm -hmm. it influenced hitler there's a there's a problem with the book the story wasn't true. It was fucking fake. <laughs> Completely made up. Completely made up by this guy. In fact, the pictures that they used, he went and took pictures of actual poor poor children and with intellectual disabilities? Well, just people like in in the mud and just sitting there poor and trying to get society to take care of them. He took like black ink and kind of crossed the eyes out a little bit to make them more scary looking. Mm. And then the other well-to-do family, he did the exact opposite. Not to mention the whole thing was fucking fake. Everything completely wow. fake. But it influenced but its influence as the book of eugenics that started in America was very fucking influential. There are Kalakak families all about us. They're multiplying at twice the rate of general population. And not until we recognize this fact and work on this basis, we will begin to solve these social problems. So, and his suggestion was what? Let's let's develop all these, what do we call them today? Mental health institutions. They were called insane asylums. Mm -hmm. 
all that was started by this one guy to put the feeble-minded in because of this fake book and this theory. Wow. So anytime you see a mental health facility nowadays, you know where it comes from. Kind of fucked. Well, a lot of them, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of the hospitals that were around back in the day are not around now. The asylums. I mean, they yeah. like you have, you do have institutions um, for sure, but a lot of them, the, the ones that were run when this was, um, you know, being instituted are not around like for example the one that always comes to mind is taunton state hospital like in mm. massachusetts that's where they filmed the um uh shutter like island, island? That, oh, that's yeah. where they filmed that um but i i mean they, they closed them down because Oof. of because of the living conditions so well most of them were immigrants as you're about to see if you want to because, I mean, they, they all these immigrants. I mean, the, the Congress passed the law because they wanted to stop immigrants. They wanted, then companies were just going and putting them on boats. And so they basically made the law to say, all right, well, you can't do that. But now they got to come through a port and we'll decide if they can stay here. This is the ghastly story of the descendants of Martin Kalikak Sr. from the nameless feeble-minded girl. Although Martin Sr. himself paid no further attention to the girl nor her child, society has had to pay the heavy price of all the evil he engendered. Okay, I think I kind of derailed this whole episode with all this stuff. No, it's really interesting. All right. His results. So the United States Public Health Service was so moved by his book at the time, everyone thought it was real, that they gave him responsibility of judging all the mental defects in immigrants. And here's his results, which, of course, if the book ain't even real, how the fuck is this going to be real? Mm. 83% of Eastern European Jews, 80% of Hungarians, 79% of Italians, 87% of Russians, feeble-minded. Um, yeah, fucking false. <laughs> I'm just going to say. One other guy I got to talk about real quick. Madison Grant, Yale graduate, Yale professor, American lawyer, writer, zoologist, known primarily for his work as a eugenicist and conservationist and advocate of scientific racism as one of the leading thinkers and activists, active, activists of the progressive era. In 1967, he wrote a book. Did you say scientific racist? Scientific racism, yeah. Scientific racism. Quote, he believed the qualities of the Polish Jew, dwarf stature, peculiar mentality, and ruthless concentration of self-interest are being Uh (laughs) engrafted, engrafted upon the stock of the American nation, end quote. Who does that sound like? Because yep. that's the desk it ended up at. <laughs> I mean, that's me. Dude. That's me. Next Polish? time. Yeah. I'm Polish. I didn't know you were Polish. Yeah, Polish and Russian Are Jew. You're freaking. I am Hitler's worst fucking nightmare. You get but you know what? Ruthless concentration of self-interest. Here's the takeaway that I'm about to piss a lot of people off. Even myself. America is the fucking cause of the damn, all the Hitler shit. If you really boil it down, where did he get his ideas? It's an interesting, (laughs) interesting lens of that's how that science was fed to him. I just want to, it it all started from one. It all started from 
that that one guy well it all started from Mendel I would imagine and then that pseudoscience stress that like Mendel but, was legitimate science and everything else is pseudoscience I know but that that pseudoscience branched from him then you had the Italian science that I barely mentioned that said I wonder if we could use this to improve intelligence. That's what he said, improve intelligence of the nation. But don't do it. And, of course, the guy that owns the American Disabilities for Mental Defectiveness, Feeble-Mindedness, was like, I'm going to do that. Well, and then you have now, you know, people testing their their yeah, their Maybe kids, their kids before yeah. they're born to see if they're going to develop any type of genetic um, Disability disabilities or, or intellectual something. disabilities, yeah. and and I'm not going to go into that whole argument again. But that's just it's 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 crazy. I think it's interesting though. I do want to comment on how you said that the quote about um, self interest about they're saying about the Polish Jew how self interest, but really that's what this whole writing they were about about preserving the self-interest of americans and keeping american jobs and Mm. the rate of pay um so that's just kind of hypocritical let's get back to joe arity sorry about that derailment there but you guys understand it's not it's not the sheriff trying to kill joe arity here and i'm not saying he did eventually kill him it's the nation we we all thought like this, you know, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. You know what I'm saying? Feeble-minded is the the de- the chalk. Remember when we talked about the chalk, the one that you're definitely getting deported. So now this guy's like fucking everyone coming over is. I mean, obviously the American public is like fuck yeah, right? Mm. It's just crazy, man. It's one of those dark times that they don't fucking teach you. Yeah, you know, so they don't teach you that shit in school, man. Fucking nuts. I didn't, I never knew that shit. You know what I'm saying? So now Joe Arity, obviously he didn't do it at all. He is being put on death row as everyone would be at that time. So now he's got to try to fight for his way out. And he fortunately had a lot of good people on his side to do that. And even the psychiatrist who knew that the confession was going to hold and stuff like that were trying to call call him insane where yeah he's he did it but he's just insane stuff like that but from and this is the uh, classification this is where we get his exact age for practical purposes we classify all individuals whose mentality is less than a 5 year old level as idiots from the five-year level to the nine, we feel that they are imbeciles. I am speaking of adults who are afflicted with mental defects. And then above that, from the ninth to the twelfth year level into the moron grade. So that was their terminology, man. Fucking Oof. idiots, imbeciles, and morons. <laughs> Holy fuck. Awful. Holy shit. Yeah. They asked the psychiatrist, you would say he is above the idiot. You mean about six years old? About that, in some ways, he may be a little above the six-year-old, in others, a little less than the six-year-old. Real quick, some inconsistencies. Now, I don't know if Frank Aguilar did it. He said the whole time he didn't. He definitely didn't know who Joe was. At this point, you got both of them giving confessions that were completely off until they got it right type of thing. Frank Aguilar was also an immigrant. Remember, he was a Mexican, and he was also feeble-minded. And he had a family and kids and all that stuff. 
I I mean I can I can promise you he didn't do it, but this story is about Joe, so but Joe Aguilar had never met Frank ever. The house member, the light was off, and that's how the mother knew something was wrong in the uh, confession that Joe Arity that they that they uh, give to the jury. The confession, he says he turns the light on. A neighbor, Frank Gorshay, said when he gets home from his job at the steel mill at 11.20, the light was on, and that was around the time of death. Uh, Joe, did you turn on the light? Yes. Now, the foot, this is from, that was from his confession. Footprints matching one shoe in the backyard, so only one person was there, not two. So they basically are trying two people for this. You guys understand this, right? They're, they're putting two people on death row for this, and they're going to attempt to kill them both. That's, that's, the, that's the goal here, kill them both. Mm-mm. Now they can double the reward money, and but there's inconsistencies. Like, there's only one set of footprints, and n- they didn't know each other at all. Uh, Joe, and this is about the footprints. They were running away in the backyard. Joe, did you have sexual intercourse? I don't know, know what you mean. What did you do to the girls? I screw them. Did you go out the back door? No, the back door was locked. I went out the front. So mm. he went to his mother's house. They put me upstairs in the house, made me hide. Remember the, they haven't seen him for six fucking years. Yep. I didn't get into this, but a pawn shop owner said that Joe came and bought a gun. I, I didn't get into a lot of stuff, but because I got derailed. But Joe, he at the time was living in a mental facility, a lunatic facility, if you will. Mm-hmm. He what he escaped because he found uh, the immigrants coming in on the trains, and he found uh, train hopping to be really fun. But he didn't have any money. But there was there was like a a pawn shop owner that said that Joe came in there, bought a gun. It's like, are you, and I wish the defense lawyer had been like, with what money? He didn't have any fucking money. Like, how's he buying guns? Like, what the fuck? Anyway, Joe already put on death row besides the sheriff that put him there trying to get the reward and others. He had a ton of support supporters. The warden, in fact, warden best was known for his unconventional style of being a warden. He was hated, but this guy was amazing. It was claimed that he would actually, at night, bring Joe to his own house, cook him dinner and stuff. He was a really nice guy. Joe, at the time, remember, he's a child, so... uh, Mentally. Yeah, yeah, mentally. Warden Best bought him a train, like one of those trains that you pull back and it it goes. Mm -hmm. And he would just sit there all day and play with his train. Mm-hmm. All day long playing with his train. Uh, Warden Best, uh, as far as his unconventionality, uh, this is a great idea. When inmates have a problem with each other, they solve it in a boxing ring with boxing gloves. And they earn the respect that they want instead of killing each other. That's a fantastic fucking idea, is it not? Mm-hmm. Holy shit. You know what I'm saying? They actually, in the show Riverdale, I was watching that, and then one of the seasons they had, like, an underground boxing ring with the inmates. It was, like, a youth prison, and they, like, had the kids. It all began when Joe was observed polishing his metal dinner plate hour after hour until it functioned like a mirror. He busied himself by making faces in it and talking to himself. Warden Bess brought Joe some picture books. Joe responded with laughter and began turning pages and looking at the pictures until the books fell apart. When Bess brought him a pair of scissors, Joe set to work cutting out some of the faces. He hummed as he worked. Mm. 
Well, they they killed Frank Aguilar. They're definitely not going to kill him. He was on death row and they killed him. Yeah. And I'm not saying that. I mean, he he confessed at the very end, but. It didn't seem like a true confession. No, it didn't. Joe Airdy is known as the happiest man on death row at the time. He was support. I mean, the the newspapers, school kids would come. The inmates loved him. They would. This is really sad. Joe Airdy was on death row, and an inmate on death row knows that he's going to die. Right. Right. Joe, his mental capacity didn't really understand that. Mm. So. The inmates actually spent weeks, and they were really nice to Joe, really nice. And they were trying to get him to understand his what's going to happen to him so he can kind of come to peace with it. In fact, the, the reverend that goes in and gives the last rites, he had to go multiple times. And I believe he wanted to, but he couldn't quite get Joe because they're not just, you can't just kill someone and they don't even know. Right. He didn't understand what was going on. I mean, you uh. tell you tell a six-year-old child, oh, you got to die. And for instance, he says, the one reporter says, don't you want to, don't you want to be killed, Joe? And Joe says, no, I want to live. I want to live here with Ward and Best. Oh, oh no. I mean. God, that breaks my heart. Yeah. Sad yeah, story. it's fucking really sad, dude. Yeah, Malachi. Ugh. Um, I he had that train, the train uh, I was talking about, the little toy train. Warden Best would actually take batteries in it because it had a little light on it mm-hmm. and replace the batteries for him. One of the inmates and him were playing with the train. He would reach. So here's what here's what's great about this though, because it makes you really happy at night. You know, when the, the guards come around and they do their bed checks and and all the inmates were cool with this. A hundred percent. They all loved Joe. You know, he was like the, the little, you know, son almost. Mm-hmm. The guards would close off the doors so no inmate could escape or whatever. I mean, th- their cells would be locked, but they would. The guards would come in, let Joe out of a cell and now he has the whole floor to play with his train. And and, and the inmates would stick their arms out and play with it. Oh, and that's so sweet. I know it's sad. Reading oh. the book, reading the book breaks your heart because you really get to know the dude, it seems like. But so the inmates would stick their hand, tip the train over, and Joe, quote, Joe would shout with glee, a wreck, a wreck, fix the wreck, he would call. The guard who... Man, this is like too hard to read. It's hard. It's heartbreaking. The guard who found probably a thousand wrecks of Joe's train uh, would unlock the door leading to the corridor behind the screen and everyone entered the game just to keep Joe happy. Freaking uh, terrible, man. Mm. Uh, Poor thing. Joe, Joe thrived. He was safe, secure for the first time in his life. Here, no one beat him. Because people, you know... In the outside they i mean he would he would get raped like joe would you know from From the prisoners no from boys like outside the prison like like in the mental institution and Uh stuff i could go into it but oh my gosh that's so terrible yeah i don't want to go into it but the cell was it says the book says quote the cell was clean and joe was never hungry 
Once, when Joe was granted a new sanity trial, uh, Best Warden Best took Joe off death row and may have moved him into his own home. So, and he called him Buddy Best. Mm. So, uh, crazy, nuts, man, fucking That's nuts. Really and it's just like to see the, the reporters would ask him because it was pretty popular back in the day. The reporters would ask him, you know, do you want to be killed? He's he says, no, I don't want to be killed. And then all of a sudden, he would just you know, like laugh or whatever, look at Warden Best and just joke. Like he's a fucking six-year-old. It might have a six-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, terrible, terrible shit. Really sad. So, now, a lot of people supported him, which is great. So one of the attorneys, his name was Ireland, got him nine stays of execution, which wow. is a fucking lot. I mean, they were pointing out the fact that Okay, the sheriffs were, they doctored these, you know, these, like, for instance, here's what they, the money, right? Here's what they needed. They needed one thing. One thing would secure it for the the sheriffs. They needed Joe Arity to sign Frank Aguilar's, or the reverse, confession. If both signatures were on that confession, that will because back then if you say you did it you did it you know what i'm saying yeah that would be the one thing they needed so they needed the other guy to sign off on the on the other confession to say that to make but the confession obviously the the real confession is one way the confessions that weren't written down or anything were you know it probably took weeks for them to get the story right but joe's name was sign but it was at the very bottom it was just weird how it was it was i think it was doctor or something mm-hmm. the attorney managed to gain nine stays of execution for joe all were based on the same old legal question whether or not joe was insane so at this point it's like i can't prove that he didn't do it obviously y'all are gonna y'all think he did anyway let's just try to get him to be insane it was the only legal plank available in those days. With each stay, Ireland seemed to come closer to saving Joe's life. Each time he tried a new and different attack, as Joe's final date with death approached, Ireland worked harder. Joe's last meal, and they gave him three days of last meals. I mean, that's how much mm-hmm. they fucking loved him. But guess what his last meals were? Cheeseburger. For three days. Ice cream. Ice cream. Oh. This is sad, man. It is sad. I should have went to more into into you know anyway all right they're not going to execute him so it's good yay but sad that he had to spend the rest of his days in prison all right if you want to read this nicole the doomed youth was grinning as he entered the gas chamber and prison officials began preparing him for execution in a small room off the steel execution chamber. I thought well, you said they weren't executing him. No, they killed him. While Arity's prison-style blue shirt and pants were removed, Father Schaller and Arity of the three chairs in the small room. He was only clad in a pair of white socks and sh- shorts. The grin left his face. When a block of bandage was placed over his eyes, he seemed puzzled, but the grin returned when Warden Best took his hand and reassured him. The guards then proceeded to quickly strap him into the chair. His arms and legs 
or drawn tight to the steel chair, a wide belt strapped against his chest and caught behind the chair. Then all the officials left the execution chamber except Father Schaller, who had tears in his eyes and took Erdi's hands and bid him goodbye. Then the priest left the chamber and the steel door was closed. So this is like the famous... Joe is obviously sitting down, but that's his train. That's like the oh, famous that's picture. That's the picture on the book. Yeah. That's so sad. He was ultimately killed, <sighs> and the sheriffs got their reward money. That's terrible. That's fucked, man. So, that I mean, I could have... I know I went pretty far into the eugenics. I probably... Looking back, I probably shouldn't have, but... It's interesting. Um, sorry about that. No, it was a good lesson. Now, this is rather recent right here. If you want to read this headline. Governor Ritter pardons disabled man who is executed in 39. So this is actually from 2011. Hmm. Governor Ritter, and this because of this book, he pardons. He find Joe Arity finally gets his pardon in 2011. Well, 2011. He was finally. Uh, I'm glad he got his pardon. Anyway, this is, uh, and they gave him a proper burial, too, which is really nice. Wow. I like that they put that he was pardoned on his It stone. says, here lies an innocent man, and they put the train, oh. you, you see the- Oh, were those his trains? Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, those oh. are the trains. Fucking sad. <laughs> Story's terrible. That's Malachi. <laughs> Come on, man. That is sad. Very sad. Oh. But yeah, innocent man, um- Mind of a child. I tried to. I tried to do it more justice going into the fact that I don't. I don't know why. I don't think I did that story right. No, you did. You did fine. So anyway, fuck. I don't know. Thank you, Malachi, for another awesome request. Yeah. Yeah. And, thanks, Malachi. And other than the book, there's not really many sources. So I mean, I, w- I would go. Any questions like on Joe himself? Mm, no. I mean, he was, it was sad. Like, and it talks about in the book, like how his mom would come right before he went to the gas chamber. It's like, Joe didn't know what was going on. And the fact that they were trying to tell him over and over and in the simplest terms, you know, at one point they were like, Joe, do you know what, you know what, you know what heaven is? And he kind of was like, I'm, you know, I don't know. And then he was like, do you know what? Ah. I, and then they said, you know, do you know what, do you know what a harp is? And he said, I know what a harp is. And do you, you know angels play play a harp? You see, you see how they're trying to get uh, to it? That's, that's awful. I, like I, that. just, I, I Honestly, I can't listen to that type Mm-mm. of shit. So if I can read the book, man, the book, the book is... Because you really get to know the guy. You know, you know his, he didn't do it. You know he didn't do it. And he's just fucking just, I don't know, sad, man. He's... he's uh, anyway... I definitely uh, encourage anyone to go up there in Pueblo. If you ever are around the area, go visit his grave, man. It'd be uh, really you know, nice to see. Mm. It's a very sad story. It uh, is. The eugenics thing's kind of weird. But anyway, I guess we'll go. I know you guys want to eat. 
But anyway, I hope you guys liked it. Thank you, Malachi, for the story. Go talkmore.com. Let's join if you want to support us. We do live shows every Sunday. We're starting again next week. Also, remember, comment on the post and then go right above that and you'll see where you can put your email in there and you'll be automatically entered to win a $25 gift card every week and that'll just be sent out automatic. It's like automatically set up. I don't even see it. So if you want to enter that, leave me a comment and we'll shout you out. Until next time, good night, you lovely, lovely people.